We're starting a new series today called Tell Me a Story. Tell Me a Story. Uh, subtitled Testimonies of God's Strength and Grace in Different Chapters of Our Lives. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your wonderful story that we get to be a part of. And we pray that today as we look at some scriptures and as we hear some stories from people in our church, that you would change us, that you would encourage us, that you would bring fresh faith into our lives and hearts, and that we might be overjoyed again, just that we get to be part of your story. And all God's people said, amen. We live for story and we long for story. I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments where you're at the supermarket checkout line and you look over and there's like, you know, the gossip magazines and, and, and the tabloids and like, for a moment you're like, I'm above looking at those things. Like, I don't need to know what's going on in celebrities' lives. And then the line doesn't move and you're like, all right, what's going on with Brad Pitt? <laughs> really, that's what's happening. That happened to me the other day and I realized, you know, we just love story. We love seeing what's going on. We love being involved in, in, in hearing about stories, even if it's about what's going on with Brad and Angelina or, or whoever. We live for story and we long for story. We're wired for it. Uh, even as we've done these church renovations, people are donating money, and I think it's because they're captured by the story. They want to be part of what God is doing, of the story that he's writing in our church plant. And it's, it's amazing and it's awesome. Story captures our attention, but I, but I also think it gives us a sense of significance. It, it gives us a sense of meaning and significance because each one of us believes that we're in some kind of story. We don't even think about that at times. We might not be able to articulate that, but every one of us believes that we're in some sort of story, we, and we want to be in a meaningful story. Uh, you know, when the story feature came out on Instagram, it's hugely popular, right? Because we get to show aspects of our lives. And while some of it's just fun, like, hey, look what's going on with my life. And th there's also part of this where we're trying to show that we're in a meaningful, significant story, right? We show like the best, most fun parts of our lives. And because we want to be in a story that's meaningful and significant. Story captures our attention, but it also gives us a sense of significance that we're part of something bigger than ourselves that we're in this story that's meaningful and, and lively. And we live for story and we love story and we long for story because we're made to be in a story. And we're made to be in a story by God who is the maker of the great story. God is the maker of the great story. If you look at the Bible, God's book, most of it is in this, sub, in this uh, genre called narrative. Most of the Bible is story. Now, not made up story, but true story. But most of the books of the Bible are in story form. Most of the people think that the Bible is about rules, but really the Bible is a story. And even some of the commands that come in the Bible come in the form of story. Even teaching is set in story. And some of the greatest commandments that are given, the backdrop is story. If you can put up Deuteronomy 6 for me, in Deuteronomy 6, the people of Israel are being reminded that they have been rescued from slavery in Egypt by God. And the, the context is the greatest commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
But what motivates them towards that great commandment is that they're part of a story. And they're to share that story and tell that story. When your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees and statues and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt and on Pharaoh and on all his household. And he, he brought us from there in order to lead us and give us the land that he swore to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. The people of Israel were given, given commandments, but the backdrop of following those commandments was the great story of what God had done. He had rescued them from slavery and oppression in Egypt and set them free. And so they're following God because they're part of his story. They're part of his story. The Bible is full of story, but the entire Bible itself is God's story. Some people have classified the Bible as a story in four different acts. You can put the next slide up. And the first act is called creation. God makes everything in harmony with each other. It's all good. There's nothing broken. There's no, there's no sin. There's no evil. There's no shame. Everyone is living together and face to face. God creates everything, and it is good. The act one of God's story is creation. And then what happens in act two, just three chapters into the Bible, the fall of man and the sin. Man rebels against God. Sin enters the world. Things no longer work in harmony, but it's broken and it's fractured, and there's separation, and there's conflict, and there's shame, and things are broke. But that's not the end of the story. That's only act two. In act three, redemption. Jesus enters the world. He dies for sinners, and through his death and resurrection, people are restored to God. It's the good news of the gospel that God the Father sent God the Son into this world to die on the cross for sinners. He was put on the cross for you and I. He, was taken, he took the punishment that you and I deserved in order that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is what our church is named after. Act four is restoration. And in restoration, Jesus returns and makes all things new. Believers in Jesus live in God's presence forever in the new city. And so not only are there lots of stories in the Bible, but if you, look at, if you take a step back and look at the Bible, it's one big story. It works in unison. Some have said what starts in the Garden of Eden ends in a city. What's broken in the garden is restored in the new city. God is a God of story. Now, that doesn't mean that he's making story up. It's just it's that this is a true story. And you are hardwired for story because the God of story made you. Jesus sees himself as the pinnacle of God's story. Most of us know that Jesus told parables. Parables are, are stories, right? He used just common things from creation and from life in order to communicate a point. But Jesus saw himself as the point of all of that. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he was meeting with people, and he said this to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me 
and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He explained the whole story to them with him as the central person and central figure. He also said to them, this is what is written, that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Jesus sees that all the story of God points to him, his coming, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, and the hope of his return. It's all pointing to him. Even though in this half of the Bible he's not even mentioned, it's all leading up to the point in the story when he enters in and brings about redemption. It's all about him. And yet, we're drawn into the story through the cross, and we become tellers of that story. Do you see what he says? You Go back one slide, please. You are witnesses of these things. In other words, you are part of the story. And now your role is to be storytellers. Not made up stories, but stories of what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection. That's the amazing thing about God is he's this great storyteller, and part of the story is that we're forgiven and brought into his story, but then we become tellers of the story. We experience life, and we have our own stories, but our story gets wrapped up in God's grand story, and we become storytellers. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is just hear stories from you about what God is doing in your life, about how you're wrapped up in his story, about what Jesus has done in your life in times of weakness, in times of sin, in times of struggle. I told someone that this time isn't really about telling an amazing story that gets everyone to cry. It's really just about telling a true story about weak, sinful people and a real, faithful God. Amen? Are you ready for this? All right, so I'm gonna ask my wife to come up Would y'all welcome her? I'm gonna have you sit on this one just because the microphone's a little closer. Yeah. All right. Hi. <laughs> um, so tell me a story. What chapter of your life can you share about with us today? So, um, some of y'all know this story or know bits of it, but some of y'all don't. And so, um, John and I used to live in um, St. Louis, Missouri. He was pastoring a church um, there. And um, we moved down to South Florida in the summer of 2014. Is that right? Um, to, you know, start planning um, New City Fellowship. And um, right before we left St. Louis, so I guess we left in June, so probably in March, I started getting this funny little pain in my right foot. You know, it just would kind of bother me at certain, you know, times. And um, I kind of ignored it for a while because life was crazy. We were transitioning. We were packing our house. We were doing all these other things. 
So I kind of ignored it until we were settled down here in South Florida, and I decided, ah, this is getting irritating enough that I need to go see a doctor. So um, I did, and so over um, the next two years after that, I saw dozens um, of different doctors as the pain in my foot spread to pain in my legs, spread to sleepless nights. Um, it just got worse and worse, but I had CAT scans and MRIs and x-rays of every sort, and nobody could really tell me what was going on. I got diagnosed probably with half a dozen different things, but it was really kind of always like the doctor's best guess. Like, this is probably what's going on with you, but we're not totally sure. And so we tried different um, treatments um, for their best guesses, and nothing ever helped. Um, in fact, some things made it worse. And um, so after two years of that, going um, around to all these different doctors um, and being kind of poked and prodded, um, we had, I kind of had given up hope, I guess. I just was like, well, I'm just gonna be one of those people that has to live with pain for the rest of their lives. And um, that, that was a really um, hard thought. After having, you know, I had two years of increasing pain and to think about that continuing for the rest of my life was a really, um, that was a really tough thought. I mean, some of you, I think, have struggled with chronic pain in the past or are currently, and that it's really um, life-altering and difficult. And um, so um, in 2016, the spring of 2016, I went and saw a new neurologist um, just, you know, for the heck of it. And um, um, he did another you know, CAT scan or MRI or whatever he was doing, and kind of on the last picture, I guess, his technician took, they saw something kind of funny. Um, they, it was kind of an accidental picture that they took, and um, he called me up and he said, well, we found what's wrong with you on accident. And um, he said, you need to go see a neurosurgeon because you, you have a tumor in your hip, and it's growing, and it needs to be taken out. And you know, it, it, was, it was part relief because, like, oh, finally, somebody, you know, figured out what's going on. Um, and also, like, oh, my gosh. You know, that's kind of not what you want to hear at any point. And um, so, uh, long story short, um, and I'm giving this detail because I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Um, not to make, like, a dragged-on story, but just because I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Um, we went to see... Uh, a neurosurgeon at Memorial and found out that the type of tumor that I have, 99% of the time, grows in the brain. And um, so people, surgeons, neurosurgeons, can have experience operating on this in the brain, but not in any other parts of the body, because the tumor itself was growing inside of my nerve, my sciatic nerve, and in, in, in my hip. It wasn't growing on the nerve. It was inside the nerve. Which is why your foot hurts so much. Right, which is why I had leg pain and foot pain for um, all that time. And so um, the neurosurgeon at Memorial said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I don't have any experience removing this kind of tumor um, outside the brain. He said, if this were in your brain, I would do it, but um, I, I can't help you. And so we um, heard that there was possibly one um, neurosurgeon at the University of Miami who maybe had some experience removing these kind of tumors outside the brain, but he, you, he didn't just take any patients. You had to um, basically apply to be one of his patients. 
So we did. We put our application in. We sent my files, and we waited anxiously to see if he was going to take us. And um, so he did, and we went to, for our first consult with him, and he said, um, he said, well, your tumor needs to grow before I can take it out. It's not safe to take it out right now. It's got to get bigger because I guess that makes it easier for him to find. But, you know, that's because that's that was tough for me to hear because, you know, if it gets bigger, it gets more painful. And so um, that was really um, hard news to hear from him. So he said, come back in six months and let's do another MRI and see how much it's grown. So we did that a couple times, I think. It was almost a year later before we went back and he said, um, okay, it's grown enough that I feel pretty confident that you know I can remove it without injuring you more substantially. So in March of last year, I had surgery and I had it removed and it was life-changing. I have to say, I mean, praise the Lord that it was, um, I woke up from surgery and knew that I was better. And I don't take that for granted because I know there's a lot of people who surgery is never an option for them. And there is no hope of relief from the pain that they feel. And so I don't take for granted the fact that there was a solution eventually after three years to my issue. So that's me. What did you, uh, I, I lived through it with her, so I'm, I'm just, I'm reliving it as we go. What did you, what did you learn about yourself persever- as you persevered through chronic pain for two years? Uh, well, the main thing that I learned was that I'm really a mess and that the roller coaster that I was on, and so that's, that's why I kind of told you the details about we went to this doctor and they turned us down. It was, a, it was literally a roller coaster of like hope and despair and hope and despair. And um, I think what I learned about myself was that I'm really just a mess of, of unbelief and um, that there were times, you know, in those moments of despair where I really had to ask myself, what is it that I believe? Like, do I really believe that God cares about me? Really? Do I really believe that he wants what's best in my life for me? Do I really believe that he's going to work all things for my good and to his glory? Because it really didn't feel like that in those moments of, of kind of like there's no hope for relief. It really didn't. Um, it was really hard to believe, and I had to um, really wrestle with what, if, if I was just saying I believe those things, or if I actually did um, believe those things. And I realized that I had a lot more unbelief in me than, you know, I probably wanted to admit being a pastor's wife and in ministry for a decade, you know. And um, I had, you know, there was a lot more unbelief inside me than I was aware of or wanted to see. And this, this showed it. Oh, boy, suffering will show your unbelief. It, it definitely will. Yeah. Um, we did a little video about how this affected our marriage and just it was a rough couple years for us trying to live out our covenant marriage together. Is there anything that you learned about marriage through that time that you want to share, that you could share? Um, well, I think the big thing is that um, 
you know, you have to you have to wake up every morning, I think, and decide like I'm I'm going to be married today, <laughs> and no matter how I feel about it, like I'm going to make the decision that okay, today I'm I'm going to be married, and I'm I'm going to live that out, and I'm going to as best I can, you know, try to honor my commitment to this this person. Um, and you know, it's it's hard. It was hard for me when you're in pain, you don't feel good, and um, you didn't you haven't slept and months and um to that also will test you know your commitments and your uh your um feelings your feelings go quickly um they go away quickly when you don't feel well i think and so you it comes down to making a decision of like i'm i'm committed to this person i'm committed to this family and and making a choice i think every day that this this is what i'm doing today you know, I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, but today, this is what I'm doing. Just trying to keep it real for you all. <clears throat> and, uh, and, uh, and I would say I, I, I wrestled in new ways in my commitment to her. Um, as men, we like to fix it. And so for two years, whenever I asked her, are you in pain? The answer was always yes. I, and I could not fix it. Um, and so I wrestled with how do I, I can't do anything. I can't do what I'm sort of wired to, to normally want to do, which is fix it. I can't do that. So what does it look like to then love in a new way where she's in pain? And how do I walk with her when she's feeling that way? And that was, that was life-changing for me to learn to be stretched in that way and to learn how to honor my, my marriage vows to my wife in a new, in a new season of life. So... What did you learn about God during that time? Um, well, I think um, I think I learned something that I knew in theory, but maybe not in practice. In that um, that God gives grace as it is needed, uh, meaning if if you just if you're in a season of life where like you know you know you're doing okay, I mean God gives you that quantity of, of grace for that season. And if you're in a season of life where you need a lot, he will abundantly give you a lot. And so, um, you know, years ago, and when we were in St. Louis, a friend of mine went through something really hard. She lost one of her children. And I remember thinking, I could never live through that. And, um, our, pa our other pastor at the time, I remember he said, well, you, you'd be surprised the grace that God will give you in a situation. And I remember, th I remember thinking like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure God gives that much grace. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure that he allows you to be comforted with that much pain. You know, does he really, does he really do that? And I think I, I saw that practiced um, during this time because it, it wasn't perfect. It was a roller coaster. There were days when, you know, I really struggled um, and to even feel like God was with me or around or cared about me. But looking back on it now, I really see that God gave me um, the grace that I needed for each, each day. And that, that was such a, um, that's a promise that he tells us and that he was very faithful in that. Amen. In closing, what's one thing you'd want to give to New City just from your story? And maybe you already said it, but. Um, 
just, I think um, one thing that I learned through all that is that um, not to be afraid of suffering and that um, suffering is really the, the um, maybe, I don't know if this is theolog theologically correct, but one of the best ways to grow your faith. Like your faith will be tested and what you believe will be tested through suffering. And so not, not to um, look at suffering as I have done something wrong, what is God trying to do to me, but as a gift from the Lord. I know that sounds weird, but to see it as a gift from the Lord in that he promises that through suffering he will grow our faith. And so just not, not to run from it or to try to treat it, but to walk faithfully with God through the suffering. Amen. Thank you. All right. I'm going to ask Pastor Danny Slavich to come forward and share for a minute with us as well. Um, it's kind of fun for me to be on stage here because my wife just shared, and Danny's one of my closest friends. Um, Danny is planting up in uh, Lighthouse Point. They're in the very beginning stages of planting the Cross United, and I wanted uh, to give him an opportunity just to share with you. So, Danny, what uh, what stage of life, what chapter of life are you, do you want to share about? Um, yeah, no, it's it's a pleasure to be here. It's really uh, a joy to be with you all. Um, I've been a pastor for uh, almost nine years here in South Florida at an established uh, church down here in Miramar and uh, just transitioned out at the end of 2017. And I think I'm really, we're really entering into a season of really pursuing a dream that we've had for, at least that I've had since college, 15, 15 years of, of planting a church. And it's kind of come and gone at, at, in different times. And it's been something when my wife and I, uh, right here, beautiful, uh, taking pictures here. Um, uh, uh, my wife and I first met and got married. We, this is what we were planning to do. We were planning to start a church and then God had other plans. And, um, we really began to wrestle um, in recent, really since since um, January of 2016, I got a random text message from a friend um, who said, have you ever thought about planting a church in Deerfield Beach? And I, um, I told my wife before that, you know, if I ever planted a church in South Florida, the, the place I would want to do it is in and, and we said Deerfield Beach, really Northeast Broward, where, where we lived when we first moved down here, where she grew up in Lighthouse Point, Pompano, Deerfield. And, he, and I actually said, well, yeah, actually, funny you ask, yes. And that set us on a, a year and a half of just really wrestling and, and doing really s silly things like trying to see if God was in this. Um, I, so I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever even told my wife this story. So this is like, um, this is really getting deep here. Um, <laughs> I, I was driving home late one night, and I drove down Copens Road, and I drove north, and I said, okay, Lord, if you give me nothing but green lights till the county line in, in West Palm, then this is your, w and, and, and I got one red light right at the end. I was like, oh, you know, and, and so we're wrestling with this. Like, what does this look like? And, and um, what does it look like to, to be called? And, um, and knowing guys like John and other friends who've planted churches where I'm like, man, like, am, do I have that gift set? Can I do that? And um, really realizing you know, calling wasn't necessarily as mystical as I was kind of thinking that it didn't take the traffic light turning green, but just really sitting with the Lord and fasting and praying and reading the scripture, Romans 10, um, how will they hear without a preacher? And, um, 
you know, and I told, I, I spent a day uh, just thinking, praying, planning. Uh, I came home that night and took my wife out for coffee and said, let's try it. And she said, well, I know I've been telling you we should think about it, but I didn't really think that, that you would actually <laughs> want to do it. Uh, and that set us on a pathway of transitioning out of our previous ministry and then entering into a, a new season where we're planning a new church. Um, John, John says the name Cross United sounds like a soccer team, so um, we were we were going. We're going to get instead of T-shirts, we'll get soccer jerseys made with the the name on it. And um, so it's really entering into this new season of of pursuing a dream that I've had since you know since I was first in ministry, um, and and it's exciting, but it's also um, it's been a little, it's, it's surfaced a lot of stuff and, uh, in my heart and in my life. Um, and uh, I, get, I think that's probably the next part of what we're going to talk about. So that's, that's, that's the chapter we're in right now. Let me ask you, what, um, what's something you've learned about yourself and God through this chapter? Yes. So what, what I've realized is every time I enter into something which is what I've been praying for and wanting. So when I first got married, when I first had kids, when we first, you know, stepped into ministry, it began to surface a lot of fear about, I don't know if it's losing that thing, I don't know, and surfacing all sorts of different things and, um, and just realizing um, what, what a, that I'm really not as strong as I think that I am and that I really do... Like, I do need Jesus. Um, so our vision is we want to bring people to God and bring people together through the cross of Jesus Christ and realizing that I, I am as in, desperate, in as a desperate of need for the cross and what Jesus did as, um, as anyone. And it, it, you say that in theory, right? You say that in theory. And if you're a Christian, you're like, ah, I need Jesus. I need the cross. I'm nothing without him. You know, you know like, it, and... and but when you, it's different when you feel it. Hmm. And I think God has been, in his kindness, uh, and, it, and it hurts, um, not you know, necessarily literally and physically, but it hurts personally, like when you begin to see, like, oh, wow, like I really do need, I really do need him. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I've been learning to, to trust him in the midst of that unbelief. It's funny, uh, Virginia's, I, so, I think... Someone, maybe all of you, probably we all do, right? We need to hear this because that's the same thing is just unbelief. Like, because fear for me, it's like a shapeshifter. Like, sometimes I'm afraid about this. And sometimes I'm afraid about silly things, like really silly things. Like, like when I was at Panera Bread one time, I took, a, I took my coffee cup in the bathroom with me because I didn't want the guy sitting. This is, this is crazy. But I, I didn't want the guy. I didn't want anyone to, like, mess with my drink while I was in the bathroom. Like, like that's weird. That's my wife's like, Danny, that's weird. I No, it's weird. It's weird. Um, and, and that's a little thing and a silly thing. But it's just like, and you try to, you kind of try to treat the symptom. But the underlying thing is, like, do I really trust that God is who the Bible says he is? Do I really trust that he is real, that he is good, that he's in control, that he loves me? Do I really believe that? Um, and that's, I think, what I've been learning about, about God is that those things are true, that he is my father, that he is more committed to me. He's more committed to my wife. He's more committed to my kids. He's more committed to this new church that doesn't even really exist yet um, than I ever could be. And, um, and, and just to, that one of the verses that's, that's been... Uh, that God, he actually just last night as I was thinking about the scripture is when my anxious thoughts multiply 
your joy and your, con- your consolation brings me joy. And that, that when he meets us in the midst of that difficulty, that it's actually some of the sweetest uh, time in, in our walk with him and in our relationship with him and begins to give us uh, a depth of experience of his love and grace that, that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Amen. What's, um, what's one thing that we could pray for you for? We have the prayer line on Wednesday nights, mm-hmm. and if you let us know, people can pray for you when you come to mind. What's one thing that we could pray for you and the Cross United? So can I give you three things instead? Sure. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, always, I always like to ask for more than what people Three, but offer. not four. Four what? is too much. Four is, yeah, well, three is the Trinity, right? So it's holy <laughs> and righteous. Um, we're praying for three things for our church. Um, we're praying for our own, and they all start with C because I'm a preacher and you got to alliterate. Um, so the, the first one is our own confidence in Christ. And it's funny, we started praying that um, at our first launch team meeting, which was on January 14th. And after that is when we st- I started sensing the, like, this deep spiritual attack like on my heart and my mind and somewhat on our family as well, that we would just be deeply confident in Christ and that you would pray that us and our team um, would be deeply rooted in the gospel and deeply rooted in who God is. The second thing is he would raise, that God would raise up co-laborers for us, that we would have, we're praying for 20 adults this spring, and then when we start services to, to have 50 adults come, start coming to our services, and that's a big, that's a big prayer, um, and we know that God would have to do that for that to happen, and then that we really want to see people meet Jesus and come to Christ, so confidence, co-laborers, and then conversions is the third one. Um, so that's a, that's a three in one. It's a trinity of a triune, a triune prayer request. So, <laughs> thanks for sharing. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for you right now, and and, um, and we're thank, thankful for your honesty, Lord Jesus. I, I do thank you for Danny and Laura and and Cross United, and I do pray uh, for confidence, co-laborers, and conversions, Lord. But we want to see these things too in our own church, and we know that you long for these things, and you uh, are committed to these things, and so. We pray that you'd help Danny and his wife rest in you, Jesus. We pray that you would raise up more people for their team that might come alongside them and really commit to carrying the load with them. And then we pray that you would be working in people's hearts and softening their hearts to the good news of Jesus and that um, Danny and Laura and their team might be able to come alongside and, and, and really point people towards Jesus and that they might see many people repent and believe the gospel. We ask all this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks, brother. Amen. What I love about honest stories is it always exposes a little bit of who we are. We're weak, we're sinful, and we struggle to believe. But God is strong, he loves us, and he is full of grace. Amen. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. And as is our uh, tradition, I'm going to ask you to circle around the outside of the chairs. We'll sing a couple stanzas, and then I'll come back up, and we'll introduce the Lord's Supper.